With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome to season two, episode number 19 of Keeping Up with the Krakens, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. This is your co-host of the pod, Tyler Bell, coming from the beautiful Banff, Alberta, and just like always, joined by fellow co-host of the pod, Alec Durham, the Derminator, baby. How's it going today, bud? Oh, not too bad. I mean, it was going pretty good until I tried to watch some fucking highlights on the NHL website. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god Are they giving you some troubles there man it has to be the worst horse shit idea where you can't just like click on it and pick the quality like every single other streaming site you can just pick the quality of the video i want it to stream and it's like here you go man for better or worse that's what you get and the nhl is trying to have a goddamn seizure to be like i don't know what looks best on your computer so instead you just get blurry shit can't read the score clock that sucks who's got the puck i don't know they're wearing white (laughs) that sounds like some poor quality happening there oh i was so mad i just shut it off and went over to youtube and i was like oh my god i can see youtube never disappoints they do they're pretty good for highlights if you notice i don't know i've noticed they they post well obviously because of the accounts but the nhl has their their uh, highlights up there, and then Sportsnet does their own highlights for the games too. Yeah, the NHL can kiss my ass. I'm not watching their highlights. I don't care where it is. You watch I'll the check Sportsnet, Sportsnet ones? out. I'll yeah. check those out. They're not bad. I like the condensed game ones, eight, nine minute ones, especially we you know when you're not able to watch the game, which was kind of unfortunate for me this week because I wasn't able to watch a lot of these games, just working a lot of late nights, but. I'm going to be able to watch the next few handful of Kraken games for sure. It lines up with my schedule pretty nicely, which is exciting because Durham, this team is hot right now. Oh, baby. Here I was thinking, yeah, two one and one. They're going to have one tight game where they might lose it and one game where they just lose it. And they're like, go fuck yourself, Durham. Yeah, a big, big statement for the Kraken, putting up four wins this week, all in a row, of course, and topping it off with just an absolutely huge win in overtime against the Colorado Avalanche team who's been really hot. How important has this week been 
for the Kraken for their playoff run, Durham? Oh, it's been freaking huge for their playoff run. I mean, anyone looks at the standings now, you're going to be like, yeah, I don't feel like they really gained a whole lot of space going for first home ice. Yeah, that's you know probably true. They're still four points back. But you got to look at that gap between them, Nashville, and Calgary now. That's getting big and big and bigger. Yeah, the gap is continuing to grow. And, you know, Nashville, Calgary, they're they're looking kind of far behind in terms of the Seattle Kraken. Of course, I mean, they're somewhat close. I mean, five points behind Colorado right now for that final spot. But really, I mean, they're starting to, uh, these, these better teams are definitely starting to pull away. And the Kraken, after a week like this, have really gained some huge ground. And uh, that's just super exciting yeah if you can go another probably two weeks and hold this gap point gap spread from the first from seattle to the first team not in playoffs like we're talking about magic number here basically just shrinking that baby down honestly if you can go two weeks with this pace and you're still 10 points ahead you're probably safe i don't want to be like oh you can take the gas off you're in but like you're gonna get in your mind can shift to all right let's start getting ready Exactly. And I believe it's what 19 games left for the Kraken right now. If they win nine to 10 of those, if they kind of hover around 500, I think that puts them at a pace of uh, basically, basically like 98 points, just shy of a hundred. And if you're looking at those two teams records, Calgary, Nashville, and what kind of numbers they're going to have to put up in their final stretch of the next 20 or so games, right? For those both teams, they're looking at around 14, 15 wins a piece uh, just to pass the Kraken. And uh, that's like a 750% there or not 750 uh, win percentage. And that is just going to be next to impossible for those two teams. And that's what the Kraken just, you know, going 500 hockey and they have a good opportunity to do a lot better than that with the teams they uh, face ahead of them still. So, uh, I mean, this almost seems like after a big week like this, it's almost a lock that the Kraken are going to be a playoff team this year, baby. Yeah. The only thing you've really got to keep an eye out for is in a couple of weeks, they've got like not a back-to-back days, but back-to-back games against Nashville. And then after those two, they're done against Nashville and Calgary. So there's no, I think the term a bunch of people use are four point games. There's no four point games remaining after those two. So that's a huge help. And how about the, uh, the scope that's going to be on those two games against Nashville, especially if they kind of stay hot, which they actually have been playing pretty good as of late and, and uh, going on a nice little stretch. But to maintain that is going to be such a huge task. So the Kraken can really shut that down by you know getting a couple big, big wins against Nashville in those final remaining games. Yeah, that'd be, well, obviously, we just spent a couple minutes talking about how huge it be, would be, but it would be fucking phenomenal. Yeah, and uh, I mean, they're not done there. They got another big opportunity to get a couple big points again tonight, Durham, against the Anaheim Ducks. Maybe going out in the fields and going duck hunting, trying to find the win number five in a row. Bro, do you remember the game Duck Hunt? Oh my god, I had so much fun in my grandparents' basement playing that shit on Super Nintendo. That's yeah. That, I wish I would have had a Super Nintendo where I played that on there. I remember going on a field trip. I don't even know exactly where again, but I was young. It was like grade four, grade five. And they had this huge simulator 
there and it was like a duck hunt one with a huge screen and uh we got to get in line and play that it was so fucking fun oh man there's just something about being like an eight-year-old kid with a plastic gun killing animals i'm (laughs) kidding i swear to god someone's gonna come after me (laughs) you can't deny it it's just that's the way it is game doesn't make millions of dollars by being a shitty game that's for sure that's true you think a kraken are going duck hunting Oh, they're going duck hunting for sure tonight. Going to put up uh, some big goals, I know it. And uh, it's kind of scary because these are always the games where you're like, oh, man, Anaheim, they're a bottom feeder team. Uh, but, you know, these are the games where the other team comes out of nowhere and, and uh, you know, gets a big win against a, a better team, you know, a playoff team. So we'll see what happens tonight. But with the way they're rolling and the big games, they the big wins they had this week and, you know, why wouldn't you think that they pull out a big victory? Yeah, the only kind of worrying thing is typically in the NHL when you get to the last few weeks when teams know they're out of it and teams know that they're in it, you get that lackadaisical kind of flipped over of what should be happening. The same results you get from the first couple of weeks of the season, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's weird. Just right after that trade, like you said, you usually see those things kind of start to happen. And Anaheim, they've won four of their last five games. So this isn't a team that's, uh, you know, folding and, and giving up for the remainder of their season. And, and uh, you know, some of their young guys have really stepped up as of late. Yeah, I mean, you get Zegris, McTavish, even, I know he's not young, but like Kim Fowler's stepped it up late for them too. He's kind of leading up in points. I think he's right behind McTavish and Zegris actually for the last month and a half or whatever. Yeah, that's a veteran defenseman who's been on that team for, God, it feels like forever now. And like you said, those guys are leading the way. And Troy Terry, too, who has come back from injury and been pretty hot for that hockey team. Yeah, someone who's kind of gotten, well, pushed around. I mean, we all saw that every game against Arizona for Anaheim seems to be must-watch TV now, or at least it was for about a hot minute and a half there. Yeah. Yeah, Terry comes back, and he's just like, oh, hey, look at that. Look at what? Yeah, it's in the back of the net. Oh, thanks, He's Troy. A heck of a player, too. Eh? Just, just his ability to find the back of the net out there is just uh, uncanny. Man, when he came onto the scene in that World Juniors shootout, not the one against Canada, but I think it was Sweden where they played in the semis and he went three for three, five hole. It's like, who the fuck does this guy think he is? Jonathan Taves? Yeah, no kidding, dude. That was a complete statement. And then, yeah, to top it off against, you know, scoring one, too, that was pretty clutch against Canada that, you know, helped him put a gold medal around his neck was uh, not a big deal. That one, I remember watching that shootout with my old man. He was He's so mad after. Man. He's going five hole. Exactly. <laughs> So he scores five hole and my dad's yelling at the TV and he's like, well, where the fuck did you think he was going? And I'm like, that's probably <laughs> the whole point of it. They watched the shootout last night and in Carter Hart's head, he's probably like, he went five hole three times in a row last night. There's no fucking way that's the first spot he looks again today. Like he has to think that I was watching it. It's all head games at that point. Yeah, no, it is. It, it really is, right? You Like the guy, are you really going to go five hole for the fourth time in a row? Like you, you're probably thinking, uh, what are the odds? But he sneaks it by anyways. And uh, yeah, I just remember that being heartbroken, watching that incredible game. But uh, yeah, that was that was probably one of the best, uh, you know, U.S. versus Canada games up, up at that point. I mean, I hate how it ended in a shootout, but thank God it doesn't do that anymore. Yeah, I don't remember 
which one of the four goals he it was that he scored, but it was one of the four or five hole goals in the shootout there in the semi-final and final game. But the one he comes in and just kind of looks like he's going to tuck it on his forehand and then pulls it being a righty back to his left side and chips it like a little backhand saucer over the goalie's blade and then drops and went five hole. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, how do you how do you have the touch for that? Disgusting. Soft like to do it hard too, and make sure it comes up and down and goes in and not so hard that you just bag the goalie. It's like, oh, my God, I wish. So basically what we're saying is we're in for a good hockey game tonight. I hope so. Oh, baby. I, I think so as well. Let's go. But Durham, let's throw it back a little bit to some of the games that they played this past week. Of course, we said they, they went 4-0, had some big ones. Put up a 5-3 to W uh, you know, in St. Louis where uh, Martin Jones was in net stopping 22 of 25 shots. This was a pretty nice victory to start uh, things getting uh, start you know, get the train rolling here. Me yeah, speaking, my words, of, fuck. <laughs> speaking of things get rolling, how about the geek squad there, though, eh? Just on the rush for the first one of the game, just far side piss missile. Yeah, rips it top shelf for a six of the year. That was pretty good. It was a huge game for the bottom six for the Kraken. Yeah, they definitely brought the heat. I mean, we were talking about the depth up front that the forwards have for Seattle, and oh, they made us sound smart. Yeah, yeah, they really did. And then, you know, they give up a bit of a, a shorthanded goal. Um, Robert Thomas kind of walks in and lets this laser of a wrister just go five hole on Jones. It was sneaky fast. Yeah, that was, I mean, a little bit deceptive there, the that shorthanded one. But I don't know. I, I didn't I didn't like that one, and I didn't like the sod goal either. I will say that. Yeah, they were a bit on the weaker side, but uh, the Kraken would answer right back. And it wasn't on the power play, but it was on the power play setup, you know, just seconds after expires. And guess who? But Jared McCann tying his career high with uh, goal number 27 absolutely rips a slap shot past uh, Bennington. Yeah, I like the response there from the boys. Like you get the shorthanded goal against, and then like you say, it's not on the power play, but the same power play kind of just ends there and McCann just answers right back with a laser. Yep, and of course, uh, St. Louis answers again, kind of continuing the seesaw battle that this game kind of was. Like you said, it was you know, maybe a bit of a soft one again. So I just kind of walks in and rips one from pretty far out and, and just is, is able to beat Jones there. Yeah, like you get the stretch pass from below St. Louis's goal line up to the our blue line, and I don't know if Sod took three strides in and before let Matt Puck go, and that one was, I was sitting there and just went, ooh, that ain't good. Yeah, maybe not the prettiest uh, again, but once again, the Kraken would answer right back. Yeah, Geeky going to have his first two-goal game as a member of the Seattle Kraken when he gets his seventh of the year. Yeah, does all the right things on this play. It's a big face-off win. And then, uh, you know, goes back to Schultz. He he wastes no time, just throws it towards the net. Kind of tips off Daniel Sprong there. And because Geeky's just driving the net, he's able to kind of pop that in, just get a touch on his blade there on his backhand. And like you said, gets his first two-goal game. You know, going to the net, you get rewarded. Yeah, it was kind of funny how slow that play went down too. Once it hit Sprong, everything kind of just looked like it was just trickle effect and slow mo. The poor St. Louis D was trying to push Geeky out of the way, and he's just like, "No, not today." 
Yeah, just wasn't going to happen. And the Kraken weren't done there. They'd extend the lead. And, uh, you know, guess who it was on this one, Durham? Oh, it was the big rig, baby. God, he's been hot, eh? Just scoring lately. Yeah, they're going to force the turnover there. And, you know, they're going to stick with it after the first shot misses. And Donato's going to be like, hey, I'm a patient guy with the puck. Hit Alexiak. And he's like, oh, I big man. I hit hard. I hit puck hard <laughs> into net. Oh, and he smoked it in for his eighth of the season. And, yeah, do you think he hits 10 goals? Oh, I I, I mean, on he's probably on pace just pure statistically. And guessing that we play, I keep saying we this episode, like I'm on the fucking team, like an idiot. The Kraken <laughs> play terrible teams comparatively down the stretch. I'm going to go with he gets 10. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And. And uh, yeah, just before this one was over, though, another goal for St. Louis there. Kind of uh, kind of a weird play there where it ends up going into the back of net. Buchnevich finishes that one off. Yeah, kind of just a little scramble out front there and little chip pass from Thomas. Quick release from Buchnevich and fuck him. Yeah, but it didn't matter because uh, Brandon Tanev, the ghost, bearing a nice empty netter for his 11th of the season. And that would bring the crack into that big 5-3 victory. Yeah, I like the little extra patience. Well, I don't I guess not patience, but uh, poise with the puck. That's the P word poise, I wanted. Yeah. The poise that Tolvanen had there, that little one-touch chip over to Tanev when it came across from Gord. That was nice. Sneaky nice little play, right? Oh, you just love it. Yeah, next up for them, it was a big 5-4 OT victory against the Detroit Red Wings. And uh, yeah, this game just had a lot going on in it. Yeah, I mean, you're going to get, unfortunately, both Kraken goaltenders in there. Spoiler alert, didn't go well for Jones. The shitty game from St. Louis carried over into Detroit. But whatever, boys still got the dub, as we talked about. And speaking of the boys getting going, Jared McCann, minute 12 in, is going to waste no time setting a new career high in goals, not just for him, but for the team. Yeah, and that's huge. You know, he's uh, he finds himself on his off wing there. And uh, is able to rip just a one-timer and looked clean, too. I don't think people even realized that was in the back of the net right away because he just couldn't see where the puck went. It went came off his stick so fast. But goal number 28, setting the Seattle Kraken record once again, back-to-back -back season, and that is huge for Jared McCann. Yeah, can you believe that someone let him go to the expansion draft? Who was the idiot that did that? And then can you believe that they're able to sign him to such a nice deal too for a guy who's just been growing and growing and getting better year by year? Yeah, he's kind of had like that lower time on ice, which obviously works out for the management group because like you say, they can keep him to a lower contract and he's just going to slowly get better and better. And they mm -hmm. fully capitalized on that. And I think over the last week, he played like 19 minutes a game. So now you got a guy who's pushing... I know he's kind of averaged about 15, 16 through the year, but if you can get a guy that becomes a 17, 18 minute a night guy for $5 million a year for the next four years, holy. Yeah, no kidding, right? On that deal. And, and uh, you know, I think he still has the ability. I mean, 19 games left, you know, spoiler alert, he's, He's popped the 30 goal mark too, but uh, he still has a chance to, you know, exact. He's exactly where we thought we'd be. I think we put his over under at the start of the year at like 35 goals. So um, he's exactly on pace for that. 
Yeah, just a little bit of Nostradamus there from Belzy at the start of the season. Not a big deal. You you know what you got in him, right? After watching him for a full season, so uh, you know expectations or a lucky guess, whatever you whatever you call it. Back to this game though, Durham. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings would answer right back in the first period, and uh, Ben Sherratt just throwing one on net. And this was a bit of a weak one that just beat Jonesy uh, low blocker. Yeah, that little short side same side of the left-handed going down the left side it's like uh once again another one unfortunately jones is gonna want back yeah exactly just may- maybe not the best one to give up but the kraken would stay hot in that first period answer right back and it was bjorkstrand getting on the board after a freaking nice breakout play uh you know gets it up to bjorkstrand and uh, i think he feeds it over to wenberg there throws it on on net and bjorkstrand just finishes off with the rebound yeah just real smart shooting from the last from the Kraken for the last week. You saw a lot of that when they weren't in perfect situations, they'd shoot for the rebound and then place it to a guy and have it come back to the original shooter. Yeah. And Bjorkstrand was the big beneficiary here. Yeah. Continue going to the net. Good things happen. And, and Bjorkstrand, a player who's kind of been finding his game, uh, the more the season goes on and, and that's great news for the Kraken going forward and heading into, you know, your final stretch plus playoffs. And, uh, you know, Guess who continues scoring for this team, Durham? Jared McCann popping his second of the game. Yeah, his 29th of the year, closer to that 30 mark that I know we just spoiled. He definitely hit it. But this one was just an absolute laser beam after not long after a faceoff win, too, after something I know that we've been shitting on the Kraken for. Yeah, no kidding. A nice little face-off. And that was with, again, seconds left on the power play. So maybe they're not getting the power play goals, but this, you know, this was just about two seconds or one second after that power play expired. And McCann just, not a full slap shot, but a nice one where you just do a half clapper and just fired it uh, through the goalie. And, and 29, there you go, bud. Literally through the goalie. Yeah, and then the things got a little bit ugly too for the the um, uh, the remainder of the first period, and then heading into the second period where they give up back to back goals to the wings. Yeah, unfortunately, you're gonna have a you know, point shot from Cider there get tipped by Adam Ernie, go off the post and in, and that's gonna be the end of your first period. There gets his seventh of the year, three two Seattle, and then we're gonna go into the second period, and Zadina is gonna deflect a puck, another point shot actually. He's going to knock it down, kind of drive wide, and then drop pass back into the slot. And Jonathan Ber- Jonathan, sorry, there ain't an H in there. Jonathan Bergren's going to pop his 12th of the year. And oh shit, now we're tied. Yeah, Jones, he kind of bit a little hard on the play. And then uh, just, I, I just think it was a bit of a misread, but the Kraken come right back. Nice little passing play, too. And right as the power play is expiring. It happens again you know this team's not scoring on the power play in these games but uh they're certainly taking advantage of having that uh, extra man advantage and uh just as the seconds come dwindling down uh Aberly there with a nice little feed over to schwartz and uh, is able to again crash that net and find that goal yeah unfortunately like i think they had three cross ice passes on that power play and obviously the first two didn't go in but they were able to stick with it regroup the puck go after it again and Everly, like you said showing off the patience to just hold it at the right post there and a little sauce back door to shortsy 
Yep, and similar to last game where it was a bit of a seesaw battle. We've kind of seen that too in this one. Detroit tying it back up again. Jake Wallman with, gotta admit, a pretty nice toe drag fake play right at the blue line there where he uh, fat, uh, fake clappers it, has the guy sliding, and then is able to uh, wire it past. And after this goal, that's when we've seen Jonesy getting pulled, right? No, Jonesy got pulled after the third one, the Ernie. Oh, my bad. Yeah, that's right. After that one. And uh, this was a bit of a screenplay for Grubauer, too, where uh, we've seen uh, David Perron kind of in front there. So it looked like he was screened pretty hard on that play. And my bad. I thought uh, Jonesy was still in net for that one. No, Zadina pulled him all the way out of the net into the dressing room when he dropped the puck back into the slot there. Jones just kept curling off. He's like, yeah, I'm going home. So after that, it was a tie game, and then this one went head to OT, baby. Yeah, and just going back to that Wallman goal, I know, like, obviously, as we're talking about, fantastic play by Wallman on the double pump there and making sure to get the lane and good screen out front. But fuck me, Wenberg. That pass up the middle, blind spinorama pass to the middle of your D zone when you're on the half wall. Bro, come on. Like, we can't be doing that. Yeah, that was a bit sloppy. But that's okay because we're going to go to overtime and Oliver Bjorkstrand on the peeper. That's right. The power play in overtime. He's going to get his 13th of the year, pick it through a Schwartz screen out front, just making sure the Detroit goalie can't see jack shit. And we're going home with a red light above their heads. Yeah, huge victory there, especially, again, on the road, beating the Detroit Red Wings, who are a team who are trying to battle and fight to get into a playoff spot as well. So a pretty motivated team to come out with a huge victory. Nice little skate around the uh, the zone there for Bjorkstrand, and patience with the puck, and he's able to just wire it far side. And uh, beauty way to end that game, and a huge OT victory. Yeah, and then unfortunately the next night they got to get right back to work against Columbus, right? Yep, and Bjorkstrand stays hot too against his former squad. Yeah, I think it's his first game returning to Columbus if I remember hearing that correctly. Yeah, it has to be, right? Just with the, it would be a home and home against Columbus, just being an Eastern team like that. So Bjorkstrand's return to Columbus and it goes pretty well for the Kraken. Yeah, I mean, all he needed was a goal, but I'm sure we'll take the win. You know, you're going to get McCann, Dunn, Wenberg leading the way offensively there. But unfortunately, it's going to be Patrick Line that's going to start the show off on the power play. Just kind of leans into that one, eh? Yeah, it was a pretty beautiful snipe, not going to lie. And that's what Line does best. I mean, that's what he knows for. He's, he picks it up and then just a little bit of patience, takes a look at what's open and, and picks it uh, short side and... That's a tough one to stop for any goalie in the NHL. Yeah, he's kind of got that similar to Matthews, that curl and drag release. It's they so nasty. Down. Yeah, they got it down packed, but it would be answered uh, in the second period. The Kraken finally get on the board after, what, 21 shots on net. They were peppering the goalie and a beautiful little seam pass through the middle from Bjorkstrand finds McCann and boom, there you have it, baby. Goal number 30 on the year on the power play. The first Kraken to bury 30 times in a season. Just fantastic. Like you said, beautiful pass from Bjorkstrand to the spinorama whipping it far side. Yeah, Mwah, absolutely. 
Beautiful. And uh, yeah, all the credit to Bjorkstrand on that play. And then short right after, I mean, they, they take the lead too in the hockey game. So they take that and then all of a sudden they get this big breakout and uh, yeah, it's them scoring once again, a bit of a rebounder where Eberle is just patient with the puck and is able to just bring it to his backhand uh, as he gets that rebound and just sneak it five hole to give the crack in the lead in the hockey game. Yeah, I like the keeping yourself unpredictable from McCann here. Like, he gets the puck in literally the exact same spot he just had it 40 seconds ago when he scored. But Mm. instead of shooting to blow it through the goalie, once again, like we were just talking about, shooting for the pad, picks that rebound and puts it right to Eberle, and then patience. Oh, the hands on that man this year. No kidding. And the fact that he's hit 50 points that leads the Kraken just talks about the kind of season that uh, Eberle's been having, right? Yeah, just phenomenal. I mean, we were kind of hoping he would be this guy last year, but obviously with the first year of the organization, shit just didn't gel like it did for Vegas right away. But this is the player we thought we'd be getting. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets, they would tie the game, what, five minutes into the third period there. They want to face off. Point shot kind of gets blocked in front with all the traffic. And and uh, who was it there who just spun and scored that goal? I believe it was Bockvist. Correct. Just, just fucking fires one in. That's a hard one to stop, too, for Grubauer, who had a pretty solid game in this one. Yeah, Grubauer did play well. I mean, you can honestly say that probably about the entire Kraken team. I don't know if there was really anyone who had a – tough night but one thing about the game that i thought was freaking hilarious re-watching the highlights is i don't know if it's straight up coincidental or just one of those stupid moments where i noticed something dumb first goal of the game columbus scores a power play goal right away our seattle's like you know what we can do that too we're gonna get a power play goal back we're ignoring the Everly goal because it doesn't fit the narrative i'm making right now but then Columbus scores a goal on a face-off win where Seattle didn't touch the puck. You want to know what happens next when Wenberg scores his 11th of the year? Was Seattle's going to win the face-off and Columbus is not going to touch the puck. Yeah, nice little play too. And uh, instead of that one pass that you make where uh, you receive that puck down low, uh, Wenberg kind of takes that extra second and just puts it towards the net himself and kind of forces that one through the five hole there instead of trying to make a maybe a seam pass through, uh, you know, the crease area. And good job on Wenberg because that's one where the goalie doesn't know if that pass is maybe coming out, but he kind of makes it look like he's dragging it to the far side and just finds the five hole there and, and pots it in to give the crack in the lead. Exactly. The old spit and stuff where you throw your ass out to kind of give you that extra bit of breathing space off the D and protect the puck. And you just shove it right in their five hole. Yeah. Huge one. And then once again, the ghost empty netter, what does that mean? Durham puck Victory? in the back of the net, baby. Ah, that's the same thing. That's not actually the same thing, but that's where I was going with it. But yeah, <laughs> nice pickoff play from Schwartz there to cut off that D to D pass and then just bounces over to Tanev. Yeah, another big victory. And like we said, these are games that the Kraken needed to win and they did just that. And then not only that, to top it off with another overtime victory uh, and a bit of a comeback win too against the Colorado Avalanche, a team who's, who's been super hot and they pull off a big 3-2-W. Yeah, that was just a great game to watch. Obviously huge for Grubauer playing against his former team and, you know, getting his first real good shot at them this season. 
He goes 21 for 23 and just, oh man, what a game. Both goalies I thought played great. Yeah, it was a it was a huge battle, right? Tight battle all the way through. The Kraken actually did a really good job of outshooting and outchancing the Colorado Avalanche in this one. And even though they, you know, they were down by a goal two different times, they kept continuing to fight back and got the got the tie late in the game. And then to end it off in overtime too was huge. And uh, you know, it was it was just an awesome win to have against a really good team. Uh, can't say more about this victory. Yeah, I really like, I mean, I know we talk about it quite a bit with it being a big character team, being their kind of identity. I think that's what it's becoming is a deep character-driven team where they're going to try and just grind it out and play the right way. But what I really liked about this game was Tanev's response specifically. Like that first goal of the game, it's kind of a bouncing puck and off to the side there and bounces out into the slot and Tanev gets bounces caught too. with that hesitation. Yeah. And then, you know, because of that small little hesitation, McKinnon there with his release, I mean, he wasn't going to make a mistake there to, to put the, the avalanche up by one. Exactly. But then you, so you've got that from Tanev where he's like, fuck, I should have had that puck and had it out. Who's the guy that ties the game late for the Kraken? Brandon Tanev, baby. And on a huge, huge play by Jaden Schwartz to uh, take advantage of a nice little turnover where he picks the pocket of the Colorado avalanche and then, you know, doesn't take too long to make a play and finds Tanev there to tie that game up. That was humongous. I think the ironic part of it is Tanev might've been literally a stick length away from where he was when he allowed a goal. And then from when he scored the goal, so it's like, Hey man, you're obviously in the right spot. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, earlier in the game to tie it to uh, Wenberg tips one in that would give him goals in back to back games 12th on the season. Schwartz even had an assist on that. So a big game for uh, for Wenberg for Schwartz Tanev, and then uh, just a huge overtime winner too. Yeah, I believe they said that the Kraken had the puck for the entire overtime too. the full minute 24 there before Gordo comes in on that big stretch pass and then just wires it off the left side. Just talks about how important it is to have possession of the puck in three on three. And you see that a lot with teams that they're not forcing plays all the time and they're okay with maybe trying to get that change in before, you know, let's say the opposing team is able to get the fresh legs and have that kind of advantage. And that's kind of what happened in this situation. Yeah, they were definitely calm and controlled with it. They would attack as three. And if they didn't have anything, they kind of just pulled it back and regrouped and took advantage of Colorado having the long change there and just attacked when they could. Huge stretch pass from Dunn. And yeah, that was just a laser for Yanni Gord to, to pop in his 10th of the season. And oh, what a victory. Four wins in a row, baby, and what a week for the Kraken. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can get more wins than you have games of face-off above 50%, probably pretty good. Yeah, not too bad. Of course, this team struggles so much in the face-offs, but I think a huge thing, too, is uh, they did a good job of being aggressive and kind of mucking out a big victory against Colorado, but they didn't take too many penalties, and when they did, they killed off both of them, and, and that's a tough thing to do against this Avalanche team. Exactly. If you can limit them to only having two attempts, that really screws it. You can't get any real momentum off it unless you bury on your first one because then you're feeling obviously stupid confident when you go up for your next chance. But yeah. only having two and getting nothing on them, that is huge. 
humongously big. Um, we talked about tonight's matchup against Anaheim. They got another one, obviously, at home Thursday, March 9th against the Ottawa Senators. Uh, super excited for this one, obviously. Big Sens fan, too. So, uh, you know, and I have work off that day, so I know I'm not going to miss that game or tonight's game, Durham. I cannot wait for this game against the Sens. Yeah, you got to be juiced for that. I mean, like, they've just been so hot this last month and a half or so i mean other than last night's game against chicago they were on a five in a row streak for i think they said the first time that's happened for ottawa since like 2017 correct yeah which is mind-blowing yeah (laughs) i saw i think it was on reddit i saw that and someone goes there's no way they haven't won five in a row in over five years and someone goes they haven't been good for five years yeah okay yeah that's, that's fair yeah, they've been a bottom, bottom dweller, but all of a sudden they're going on this huge push to try to get into the playoffs. And, you know, they make this huge trade too where they uh, acquired Jacob Chikrin for an absolute steal of a deal. And all this team's just been, you know, just running hot. And I, I don't know, I just, I'm excited, man. I am super excited. Man, I think you should be. Like, they're since February 1st, they're a top 10 team in the NHL. Yeah, it's no joke. I mean, they've been real hot this last last month going on a run. Their top players are are performing like top players in the NHL too. You got Stutzla, who's red hot. Kachuk, who's just dragging his team into every battle, trying to fight every player out there he can. And then the acquisition of uh, Claude Giroux has just been immense for, just huge for this hockey team. And the fact that he's on pace for, you know, to tie his career high in goals, uh, you know, as a 35 year old just speaks volume to, you know, the kind of offensive production he's been having. Yeah. That top line of Kachuk, Stutzla and Giroux has just been dominant, especially in this like last month and a half. It might even be since January 1st. I want to say they've just been on it. Yeah, they have been. Their penalty kill has been fantastic as of lately. The one thing is their power play has really um, kind of taken a dive this last handful of games. They haven't really been scoring uh, with the man advantage a whole lot other than the matchups against Detroit that they recently uh, took it to them pretty good. But uh, if, the, if the Kraken are going to take advantage of the Sens, it's going to be you know playing aggressive against them uh, while they're penalty killing, while, uh, you know, Ottawa's on the power play. I think that's one way that could really uh, swing the momentum in the hockey games and just just pressure them. I don't know what it was about the game last night against Chicago. The Sens just gave up a ton of odd man rushes, and they're a top team in the NHL of not giving up odd man rushes. So, you know, maybe that's something they try to look at and look at the game tape and and take advantage of. But not going to lie, I do hope this game goes to overtime. Getting the extra points in for both teams. I like it. Yep, you know, when you're a fan of both teams, that's what you hope for. But, you know, I'm just going to sit back as a fan of both teams and just enjoy this hockey game. I just hope the Islanders keep losing so both our teams make playoffs. Yeah, and that could very much happen. I mean, big loss against or for Buffalo last night, too. And, and uh, you know, who knows? But it's going to be an exciting last uh, 20 games down the stretch here. Yeah, the East has been just dominant this year to watch crazy dude it's just been craziness in the east so but which is fun because it leaves the west wide open and and that's why it's exciting to see what could happen with this kraken team and then looking at teams that are in the west looking at it being wide open that's going to be dallas 
Why are we talking about Dallas? Because the Kraken have a couple games against Dallas coming up. Yeah, they got a little back-to-back, both at home for the Seattle Kraken too, which is pretty nice. And this Dallas team who have been kind of mediocre as of late, they play them on the Saturday, big Saturday night game, and then they got the day off Sunday, and then they're going back at them on Monday night still in Seattle. And uh, this is going to be fun because they play them three times in the 10 days starting March 11th, and it's almost going to be like a mini playoff series, I think. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see. I mean, obviously you're going to it's going to be tough with a couple. I think they have two games in between the second and third game of Dallas. Mhm. But so that might kind of take your mindset off of it for a second, but yeah, it's going to be just a bloodbath those three games should be. You got Dallas trying to cement themselves in the top of the West, Seattle's trying to cement themselves in I guess also the top of the West. I was about to say top of the Pacific, but I'm pretty sure the Pacific leads the leads the conference, so Suck it, Dallas. Let's go. Not everything's yeah, bigger in Texas. Let's go, baby. No, no way. But uh, this is going to be a fun one. They haven't they, uh, seen Dallas yet this year. I mean, they've been playing all right. Four, three, and three of the, the last 10. Like I said, they've kind of been mediocre after such a hot start in the first half of the season. But, you know, lately they've acquired some nice center depth, which, you know, would have been nice to see in Seattle. And we'll touch on that a little bit later in this podcast. But they bring in Max Domi. They add to that kind of middle six. And uh, that takes the pressure off a guy like Wyatt Johnston, right? A, a rookie who's been tasked with helping out Jamie Ben and Sagan and getting things done for the team. And, uh, you know, what do you expect for this matchup? Well, I'm not really 100% sure because most of the time, to be honest, watching Dallas, like they've been a very top-heavy team. They've loaded up. Obviously, that number one line of Robertson, Hintz, and Pavelski kind of carries a lot of the offensive load for that forward group. But then it was the second line of Jamie Ben, Wyatt Johnston, and Tyler Sagan were doing a lot of the secondary lifting, if there was any in Dallas there. But now bringing in Dadanov and Domi, like they looking at the lines there, they split up Ben and Sagan. So I think what we're going to see from Dallas over the next couple of weeks here is going to be a team that tries to roll three scoring lines, maybe kind of get a little chippiness with Domi and Sagan and Marchman on that third line. They're going to have a fourth line who's just going to go out there and try and fuck you up and play good D. And then obviously you got to watch out for Heisken and on the point there. Yeah, no kidding. He's so good back there. So smart. And uh, this is a team that plays so good defensively. And and the reason why is being because they hold possession of that puck so much. Dallas coming in as the best team rated in the NHL in the faceoff dot. And that doesn't bode well for the Seattle Kraken, who ranked 31st, second last in the league in the faceoff. So I think a key is going to be when you do get possession, try to hold possession against this Dallas team and, and see what you could make out of that because uh, the way these two teams match up, I, I think it's going to be critical for the Seattle Kraken to uh, you know, try to gain that possession as much as possible and force some turnovers by being aggressive on this Dallas team and, and pressuring their D maybe a little bit more than uh, maybe they normally do, which Seattle does quite a bit already. I was just going to say, every part of the game plan here just sounds like go with the flow that's been working for the last week. I mean, that's exactly what they've seemed to be doing and Obviously, the results are there, eight points in four games. Exactly. So I'm excited for this one. I think I feel like it's going to bring a bit of some playoff vibes and the way these two teams match up. I think there's going to be a lot of hits, a lot of heavy hockey out there. It could be fucking good hockey to watch. Oh, yeah, baby. Let's go. NBA fans, 
It's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt-in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. So download the app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, welcome back, Kraken fans. Durham, let's change the conversation up just a little bit here. Um, you know, we talked a lot about the trade deadline and things like that. I want to ask you, though, instead of getting in-depth with the rest of the trades, because let's face it, that last day was just some, some smaller moves. We've seen a lot of the bigger moves already happen prior to the actual day of the trade deadline. But who would you say would be the biggest winner and the biggest loser of the trade deadline this season? Well, surprisingly, they're both in the East. And I know you're probably thinking, why is that surprising? Well, because everyone that's good went to the East, which means they obviously left the West. So logic would dictate my shitty team should probably be one of the Western teams that didn't pick anything up. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. The worst team at the deadline was the Philadelphia Flyers because they're fucking terrible and they didn't do anything to help. And you must love to be saying that right now as a Pittsburgh fan, but kind of just break down why you're picking Philadelphia as the biggest L of this year's trade deadline. Well, I mean, you've got a team here that everyone kind of knew wasn't going to be making playoffs, right? Mm -hmm. So you're kind of doing what Anaheim did where you're looking to just move assets at the deadline, move what you can. If you've got an unrestricted free agent, fucking get rid of them, get a pick for them. If you want him to come back, talk to him in three months after he's had a playoff push, maybe, and see if you can bring him back for a couple extra bucks here. They've got guys on the Flyers, like JVR, who, I mean, obviously, if you've been paying attention to the NHL the last week, you know everything that happened there. There was a deal with Detroit that wasn't apparently like a real deal. It was just, hey, if we can get this other thing done, then we'll do this for JVR. And Detroit never got the other thing done, so they never came calling for JVR. And they didn't shop him to anyone else, really. Like, how did you not end up taking a fifth for him, for fuck's sake? Yeah, no kidding, right? And, uh, yeah, the biggest thing for them is is the loss of the moves that they didn't make. And the fact that JVR didn't even go anywhere, too, is pretty shocking. Right? And then you've got guys like, I mean, Justin Braun could be a mean depth defenseman to fit in somewhere. I'm sure somebody would take him, right? Mm -hmm. And then you got guys with, maybe a year or two left. I mean, I know you just brought D'Angelo in on a five-year deal, but there was a lot of talk about Carolina looking to bring him back at a reduced salary. So I don't know why you wouldn't try and make a push there to try and get something else, get something out. I just, yeah, I, I don't see why asset management. Yeah. I don't see why they didn't make more moves in order to acquire and help build their future because uh, you know, it just didn't, didn't make a lot of sense, but let's, uh, you know, turn the tides here. Who was the best team here? Who was the winner of the trade deadline? Well, not just the trade deadline, but probably the winner of the NHL and everything to do with that this season. And it kills me to say this, 
The fucking Boston Bruins, man. I know. They they made some humongous deals and, uh, you know, maybe didn't bring in like a huge, huge star players. But I think the moves they made just made so much sense for this hockey team because they didn't have to target that uh, number one guy in trade deadline or or anything like that to to really improve this hockey team. Uh, do you want to break down why you have them as number one uh, at, for the trade deadline? And like you said, probably number one, you will definite number one team in the NHL this year. Well, like you said, they're a team that's just been dominant. Like they're killing everything and every opportunity, every challenge that comes up to them. They're just knocking them all over. The Bruins seem to be a team where they honestly didn't have a weak point this year. So you thought maybe they'd just go with the status quo and kind of don't mess with the good locker room. Bro, they brought in Garnet Hathaway, who's like the perfect bottom six shit disturber for that team. At a good age, too, 31, done this summer for his contract, so there's no money to worry about. They brought in, also in the same trade, Dmitry Orlov, and you're like, well, why the fuck would they do that? What do you mean? Bro's had eight points in like four games since he joined the team. That's probably why. That top four D is going to be disgusting. You know who they sat the other day? Matt Grizzlick. Healthy. Sat him. How fucking deep is this team? Are you serious? And then you're like, oh, yeah, but that's only like D, dude. They didn't do anything else. And like a bottom sixer, who cares? Nah, bruh. Remember Tyler Bertuzzi? Like longer haired shithead Brad Marchand from Detroit? Nah, he plays for Boston now. That's right. Brad Marchand and Tyler Bertuzzi are on the same fucking team, dude. And this is a player who brings a lot of offensive skill. Like Tyler Bertuzzi has, uh, you know, had some good seasons in Detroit. He, you know, mind he struggled with a, with some injuries that have kind of costed him. But you know, but he's just a he's just a hockey player's type of hockey player, right? He plays the game with grit. He has uh, the ability to bring the offense. He has the missing tooth. Uh, this is a stud of a pickup. Dude, he had 62 points in 68 games last year and 30 goals. And everyone's like, where's he going to fit in Boston? Like, there's no room in the top six. And Boston goes, yeah, you're playing on our fucking third line. Do you want a cup or not? And he's like, fuck, let's do this. Yeah, three, you know, 30 goals last year. A couple other seasons, too, where, uh, you know, he didn't even play 82 games, but he still put up over over 20 goals in those seasons, too. And he's, he's still like a fairly young, you know, 28 years old, kind of right in that right in that perfect kind of age where, you know, he's ready to continue just to bring the game he can. And I really like the Garnet Hathaway, another player who brings grit to this team, a big six foot three right winger. And the fact that Dmitry Orlov also has that grittiness to him, plays an all well-rounded game. And uh, like they really added the right style of pieces for playoff hockey. Yeah, and it's like it's just interesting going to be watch them too because like they're older their core is older. Like Marshawn's the youngest of their other, not counting their D youngest of their core forwards mm-hmm. at 34. So like to be able to rest Bergeron and Krejci and possibly Marshawn down the stretch here and to realistically not be taking any scoring punch out of your lineup. That's fucking ridiculous. It is ridiculous, and they made the trade for Pavel Zaka too, bringing in a Czech uh, centerman too. They they've been playing with uh, Krejci and 
and uh, Pasternak too, kind of creating that all check line. And boy, has that really worked out. I mean, 43 points in 62 games for Pavel Zaka this season. That's that's pretty wild. How that's not called the checking line, I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, that's a career high already for Pavel Zaka. He's not even all the way through this season. So what a pickup there too earlier in the year. And uh, this team is just loaded with great players. I mean, that Connor Clifton too on D, who's just kind of broken out this year and plays a really steady game for a right-handed defenseman and kind of locks it down, but also plays that great game. I mean, Boston's just, they're completely built for playoff hockey and they have so much skill too with their veteran forwards. I mean, Pasternak, what is he? Again, already 84 points. He's got 30 more points than second on his own team, which is pretty crazy. The friggin' going back to the Zaka trade there, I'm always going to remember this quote from Mark Recchi after the trade because I think he was part of the Bruins coaching staff. I don't know if he's on the bench, but he's he's involved with the staff. And they were asking Recchi after the trade about it. They're like, oh, yeah, what do you think of the Halla for Zaka trade? And he goes... Zaka's way fucking better than Halla is, and it's not even close. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was just a, a complete steal of a deal. It's crazy. And then not only that, I mean, uh, let's touch on that that contract that uh, they get their stud pasta signed to Durham. What a deal. Yeah, eight years, 11 and a quarter per year. Like, oof. If that guy hit free agency, 14 and a half, easy passing the Taveras mark that San Jose wanted to pay him? Yeah, I think so. I really do. I mean, over a point per game player in his career and putting up extraordinary numbers this season. I don't see why not a team wouldn't gamble that kind of contract. But, I mean, they signed him to a really, really nice deal here. So uh, they got to be super excited about that. You know what's funny, too, is he's going to be younger when that contract expires than Bergeron and Krejci are now. Yeah, how wild is that? Just puts things into perspective. And they're still good. Yeah. Imagine if Pasternak keeps that up for 10 more years. Deadly, dude. Deadly. Fuck's his problem. Fuck's his problem. (laughs) All right. um, Well, that's pretty good for, yeah, Boston. Obviously, we pumped their tires enough. Let's... Let's go back to the Seattle Kraken here because they did not make a move at the trade deadline. And let's kind of break down the reasons why we think they didn't and uh, give our thoughts on the whole situation. Well, I mean, we kind of we kind of touched about it a little bit going into it, maybe hinted at it that we didn't think Seattle was really going to do anything. There was rumors out there they might move. I think Susie and Borgen were the two D that kind of got named a little bit Susie, obviously the most because he's going to be a UFA. Yeah. And then there was maybe a little bit of talk about Daniel Sprong considering how much he was getting scratched recently too. But at the end of the day, nothing happened. Yeah. Which I don't know. I'm kind of conflicted on because yeah, you don't want to give up assets for like draft picks for someone that's just going to walk at the end of the season. But mm-hmm. also at the same time, it's your organization's first year of making a playoff push you've got young guys here they've definitely earned the opportunity and seattle has three extra picks in the first three rounds of the next three drafts that's right i said three three times get used to it and they didn't use one of them to try and help like max domi's a guy who we just talked about went to the dallas stars he's high up there in face-off percentage for guys who have taken 800 or more face-offs i think he's got 54 percent face-off wins 
which is better than anyone else. The next closest person on Seattle, by the way, is Wenberg at 43.7%. So yikes. And this is a guy who went for a cap dump and a second round pick. So like you could have made something happen there to help out. I think there, there was definitely an opportunity to maybe, uh, you know, trade one of those three second round picks and kind of support the team a little bit. But I know the one thing we have been preaching podcast after podcast is just, you know, staying, staying with the same approach that they've had, right? Like, like keep staying in their lane and, uh, you know, not really messing with a whole lot of the, the team's future and, and uh, you know, continuing the path that they're on. So, I mean, I think that's probably the case here. And another thing is, you know, I, I see Max Domi go for that price. Would have been nice to kind of have that. He brings the grit. He brings the, he's got a lot of points this year, obviously playing in a lot of minutes in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, playing with Patrick Kane a lot of that time, of course. But uh, this is a situation where I don't think they're really looking to overpay too much for a player. And uh, they want to keep those assets going forward. I mean, their team's been able to bring them to where they are already at this point. And uh, I guess they're comfortable rolling with things. And, and that's just what we're left with at the end of the day. So I'm not going to bash any of those decisions, but I think it would have been nice to maybe reward your team's efforts after the type of season they had last year to get to where they are without really making a whole lot of moves. I mean, how long has Burakovsky been out for? And they're still playing some pretty good hockey. And, and he was out when he was the, t- the leading scorer of this game. So maybe they're in, they're in a feeling that, you know, They've done this well without Burakovsky. So when he does return, which still kind of question marks, we haven't heard a lot about it, but I I would assume it's got to be before playoffs, but they probably feel like that's almost like an internal acquisition. Yeah, I guess the, uh, our own trade deadline pickup is, or what's it? Own rental. That's the term I wanted. Our own rental would be Burakovsky, except he's going to be here for more than a rental would. Yeah, you know yeah, what? That did course. not work. Whatever. Fuck. <laughs> it's all good. But at the end of the day, I think it, it makes sense for this hockey team to not have to trade away any assets that they feel they don't need to. And and going into next the, the offseason here, they're going to have a lot more flexibility cap wise and they still have those picks. So could be a situation where they're maybe targeting somebody who did get traded, maybe the center depth, you know, maybe a Ryan O'Reilly who they think, Hey, maybe we can make that move in the off season, see where we're at, or we go target somebody on a team who maybe has a bit more term and we could use some of those picks because like we said, they're pretty loaded right now to make a move that they feel like uh, it makes more sense for the hockey team, but would have been nice to maybe acquire a, an extra defenseman just in case you know playoff hockey is tough it's heavy and a lot of injuries happen so uh kind of would have been nice in that situation but at the same time you know i'm not going to sit here and say i i think they did bad things that i'm okay with the direction of this hockey team and you know taking things slow and and building for the future because uh, they're going for the long run versus what maybe vegas has (laughs) has showed as the other expansion team as of recently Okay, interesting thought that just popped into my head now that you've brought it up of defensemen and not wanting to like really rush and find shit that fits the team, right? Given the price of what Ottawa paid for Chikrin and considering you said it's a complete steal, should Seattle have not paid that price? Yeah, I think they would have struggled. I think the big thing is 
uh, Arizona really feels that that Ottawa pick is going to be quite high and it really could be. I mean, that could be a top 10 pick and there's just no way they would have got that with any kind of competing team and certainly not the Kraken's first rounder. So I'm curious how much extra they would have had to pay, but Chikrin's a nice piece. The one thing is, you know, he's a bit injury prone and I think the Kraken hopefully are going to be targeting a right-handed defenseman and who knows, could that be a a Carlson in the, uh, in the off season? I feel like there is a big move to acquire a big name defenseman going to be coming this off season. You know, it is actually kind of interesting. I've never thought about Seattle and Carlson like that, but the last, I almost said the last two years, I guess you can say it really, but like management has looked for a right-handed offensive defenseman to run the power play in Seattle. Yeah. They were targeting Klingberg, couldn't get him. Went after Schultz, it hasn't really worked out that well, and Dunn's taken over, and there's been a lot of talk about if Carlson's going to move, it could be the summer. That, that, that all seems to fit. Fuck, you might be onto something. Yeah, the only time will tell, but I, I feel like uh, that's going to be a uh, a move that they're looking to make for sure. And it's not like you're locked into anything big on the right-hand side, right? You got Larson, but I um, mean, he's your stud defensively. Uh, you, you know, you got Dunn, who's an RFA. They're going to be paying him, what, six and a half at least. But they got the cap to do it, and they still have the cap to to make another big acquisition like that and still add on on forward. So a lot of flexibility for the crack in, in the off season, which is pretty exciting. Durham, let's change it up a bit. Uh, some rumors going around in the NHL about a certain team trying to make a comeback for the third time. Third time. What's the second time? Well, they started off as the flames. Oh and shit. They right. Got moved. Yeah. And then I was they like came back as the thrashers. And I was that like, didn't work out good. I counted them both in my head. I'm like, fucking Calgary and Winnipeg. What do you mean a third time? I'm like, oh, wait. Yeah, shit. This would be the... Th- I'm I'm just an idiot. Atlanta, everybody. We're talking about Atlanta. Yeah, rumors of them. Rumors of Houston. I like how they're putting out the name, what, Arrows? Houston Arrows? Everyone's like sticking with that name or some crap like that. But do you think this is anything that could be happening within the next few seasons? Or is this still pretty far down the road? I think... Based on what I was reading over the last couple of days, it seems to be like the NHL is kind of throwing cold water on it. I think they might be using it as sort of like a threat to Arizona of like, hey, if you guys don't get your shit together, like we have other options, right? Like, and I think they they're talking about if the arena thing doesn't work out in Tempe, then they're just gonna move Arizona to Atlanta and try and figure it out there. I don't think the NHL wants to do expansion to both because 34 is a dumb number. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, which it's looked like uh, far in the future, I think the goal is 36. I think when they get all done with expansion teams, I think that's the number they would like to settle on is kind of what I, you know, read at least. Yeah, and if like 36 works because you get Houston, Atlanta, and... Quebec City and um, the other city, Kansas, Kansas City. Kansas is a city and Kansas City. Yeah, I think Kansas City was the other one where they're always talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you get those four there. And then, like, really, you're looking at there's your 36. Geographically, it kind of works out well, too, because you get Quebec in the east. 
You could keep Atlanta in the West if they stay in the Central. They're pretty close there. If you throw Houston in, that might fuck it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Kansas City, even... I have no idea where they are. <laughs> yeah, don't test me on that either. I'm um, going to pull it up. <laughs> but, I mean, it, you could move things around, and there's still an option for another Canadian team. I mean, why not have a, an even eight there at least, right? Um, but yeah, make makes sense, right? Then you got nine teams in each division. The division, sorry, fumbling my words. Um, but I, I do like. Do you like the Thrashers logo? I like the Thrashers logo. I kind of like the I'm jerseys. Kind of I like the blue. I like the blue ones that are kind of weird that say Thrashers down the one arm. I don't know what it is, but uh, I never liked know. them as a kid. I'll tell you that. No, I, I didn't. As a kid, I thought they're the worst. Now that they're kind of like throwback retro jerseys that don't exist anymore, they're kind of sweet. Yeah, like their old one where the I don't know if it's reddish orange coming down the arms, and it was just the bird and a T logo. Yeah, I thought those were fucking dumb. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. You know what's funny actually is so being a hockey fan my entire life, knowing the Atlanta Thrashers were a team. I didn't know the thrash that a thrasher was a bird until like, I'm not kidding, six or seven years ago. <laughs> it was some that trivia simple? game, and it was a, a multiple choice thing. And they're like, "Which one of these is a bird?" And I was looking, and I was like, "Wait a minute, thrasher, Ad- Atlanta Thrashers. The logo's a b- holy shit. A thrasher's a bird." You start to look at their logos, and they don't. Um... They don't like scream out bird at all, right? They're kind of no. confusing. Like one looks like a weird, like phantom looking one, and then one looks almost like a brown soup bowl or something. I don't know. That's just I thought it was like a hurricane. Yeah, I, do, I know it's the Atlanta um, hurricane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, fucking make them the trashers, put them the Danbury trashers. Get oh them in the my NHL. god. Just kidding. That's crazy talk. Oh, yeah. By the way, Kansas City is like straight to the west of St. Louis. So divisions shit would have to be reworked. Maybe you just kick Atlanta back to the east, I guess. They can't make it. Yeah, they can't make it worse than some of the ways they have it. Right. (sighs) Oh, my. Right. Like Arizona has to play in the central this year. Yeah. It's this fucking just weirdness going on. But hey, Durham. Uh, interesting topic, but let's move on here. What do you have? We're going to toss you in the deep end, Ty. Oh, let's go. All right. What do you got for me? I got two for it. Well, one and then two and a half kind of fuck, whatever. I got a couple questions. Number one, how comfortable are you with this team going into the playoffs and the playoff series? And does your answer change if you get to pick who they play? Uh, okay. Laying it on me there. I'd say I'm pretty comfortable, especially with just how they've played. I think a little bit of depth would have been nice, but this is the best scoring depth team in the NHL forward wise. So pretty comfortable there for sure. Um, in net Grubauer has been playing real well. He's taking over that number one spot. I would have liked, I think to see some more depth on D and that's the one thing that worries me with the, the fact that they don't have that true number one stud, but going into playoffs, I think this team's going to be just, you know, still playing super fast, still like super exciting. They'd like to hit a lot. They, um, it would have been nice, maybe a bit more grit in that lineup, but at the end of the day, 
Uh, I do feel pretty comfortable with this team, just with how spread out all the scoring is and everything. Looking at matchup-wise, that's where things get pretty interesting, right? One team I just do not want to see them playing against is uh, Edmonton. And um, the way Vegas has kind of turned it around a bit has been a little scary. Yeah, do you want to play a pissed-off Jonathan Quick in the playoffs? No. That's a goalie who could really shut it down in the playoffs, obviously. And LA's even improved their goaltender depth. So it's one of those situations where, uh, you know, all those teams added, Edmonton added as well. Um, it's it's a little bit scary because if they do drop into that wild card position, that wild card one position, I almost feel like, you know, depending on how these games go against Dallas, I'd feel comfortable with a with a a matchup against the Dallas Stars. But one more, I, I don't feel that comfortable against Edmonton. I think that's a team who could go on a run and get to the final because of how, you know, they're all-stars, you know? So I think that's a team that kind of makes me uncomfortable. LA, I think that's a great matchup. I think that's a fun series. Vegas is a bit scary. They haven't had that much success against them. Um, Colorado, stay the F away. Wouldn't want to happen wouldn't want that to happen at all but i don't know what about you uh i'm honestly the exact same boat as you like you could have just replayed that exact same answer i don't think to be <laughs> honest i don't think i want to play minnesota because uh they've Kaprizov been shot down now knows what the playoffs too. are like exactly and both goalies are playing well they uh, struggle going on runs in the playoffs though so i don't know what what'll happen there with minnesota but uh, they have been shutting it down defensively. Holy crap. Uh, what else do you got? Part two. I was going to say number two, but this one's got a couple in it as well. So part two. About a year ago, everyone wondered if Haxtell was the right guy for this team. Do you think that has changed? And if he were, because no one knows what his goddamn contract is. I spent, I'm not kidding, half an hour looking that shit up. Cap Friendly doesn't even have it. <laughs> If he's eligible for an extension this summer, would you want Francis to do that? Um, I think he's earned the right to be given an extension, if I'm being completely honest. One other sneaky thing is the fact that they do have Dan Bilesma in the AHL coaching um, you know, that team there, uh, the Coachella Valley Firebirds. I always want to call them Thunderbirds. I fucking hate that I want to do that. But hell of a season they're having down there. And Bilesma's a guy who has had a lot of success too in the NHL. So I feel like that's always like a really nice backup plan depending on what contract he he's on right now too. But I do feel like from what they were last year to what they've become this year, you got to give Haxel the credit. And I feel like he's at least earned an extension. Okay. All right. I mean, to to see where he's taken the team with the players they have, I do feel like he's earned the... And, I mean, let's face it. We've given him a lot of crap <laughs> last year in a lot of podcasts. And we were like, get rid of this dude at times. We're like, it's just not the right fit. He's just not making the right moves. But um, I, I feel like he's done a great job just gelling this team together and bringing them to where they are right now. And uh, I don't know... I, I don't feel like I could sit here and, and say, oh, he's done great getting him to this step, but what can another coach do to bring him to the next step? I feel like, you know, he, he's a guy who's kind of earned at least another season 
of, uh, you know, what he can do to continue to elevate this team. I'm going to agree with everything you said, except I'm not giving him an extension. I'm going to agree with he's earned the right to see another season. I think we've had a tale of two teams so far in two years. And if his contract was three years, I'm saying to him, yeah, you're playing out that third year and we're going to see about it at the end of it. Yeah, I think he's oh, he was only signed for two seasons. If I remember back last year, I think I think his contract is up after this year. That'd be neat because I looked like everywhere and I could not find a mention of it. I could find his Philadelphia one. He got fired two years into a five-year deal. Yeah, like, and that's all uh, I could find. I think at one point too in Philly, he was actually the longest tenured coach in the NHL at a time. Jeez, Murphy. He was with him for like five years. No, he wasn't. He had a two-year deal. He was oh. signed out of college to that five-year deal and he was there for two years what? and they fired him wow i dropped the ball there i thought at one point he was like the longest tenure coach i want i'm fucking double checking this now i could be completely wrong i thought he was pulled right out into a five-year deal dave haxtall cap anyway yeah we got to figure this out uh, i'm sorry for the silent mode but this is uh this is a little it's a little interesting here. Yeah, that was his first deal. That was his first NHL contract was that five-year deal. He was hired on May 18th, 2015, and he was fired December 17th, 2018. Was it? Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, 2018, 2019. So he had what? One, two, three, four. Um, he was fired in his fourth year with Philly. Yeah, that's weird. I read a bunch and it said two years in. Maybe yeah. it meant to say with two years remaining because it would still count that half oh, yeah, yeah, a yeah. year. Maybe it was two years remaining. And that was a guy who coached North Dakota, University of North Dakota, for a ton of years and stayed there for a ton of time and was pretty highly regarded. A big signing, too, coming out of, you know, uh, one of those coaches coming out of the NCAA uh, or NCHC, I believe, um, in that region of uh, NCAA hockey. Right. So, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, he was like the longest tenured coach or like a top five at that point before he got fired, which is pretty insane. I, I feel like I'm definitely right on that. If not, I'm a, I'm an idiot, but uh, interesting enough. I do think he's earned a third year. I don't know if I'd go long-term obviously with, with uh, seeing all of that happening, but uh, yeah, that's kind of my answer. I'm with you. I agree on that. All right, what else do we got here? We got stat of the week, Durham. Let's uh, hit the fans with that one. We'll keep it short and sweet. We talked about forward depth with the Seattle Kraken, and we teased this one a little while ago. If we got another guy to get a couple more goals, we were going to talk about it. Yanni Gord with his OT goal against Colorado. The Kraken have become the only team in the league with all 12 forwards in the lineup having 10 or more goals. That's just insane. Honestly, I don't remember a time when an NHL team done that. Yeah, I, I can't think off the top of my head. There's, I checked this year because obviously I had to count the teams to make sure. I think Boston has 10 or 11 forwards with 10 goals or more, and Vegas has 9 or 10. There's two teams that are right there. That makes sense because uh, that Vegas bottom six has actually been scoring quite a bit for them. And then Boston, I mean – Fucking hell, they, they're doing pretty good this year. Right? Like, they're doing okay. They might they might have a few statistical but, outliers. 
What a stat for the Kraken, though, baby. That's pretty impressive. Durham, player of the week? Well, to end things off here, player of the week, like you say, we got to go with Jared McCann. Oh, boy, what a week for Canner. Unfortunately, had his five-game point streak snapped by Colorado, those dickhead avalanche players. But during the last four goals of that streak, he had four goals, two assists, one of each of those goals and assists on the power play. Bro was a plus six, had 17 shots on net, and became the first Kraken player to hit 30 goals in a season. No wonder his ice time spiked. Yeah, no kidding, eh? Uh, just just phenomenal stuff for Canner here. And uh, the stats really speak for itself. And yeah, he's been player of the week a few times this year, hasn't he? Yeah, once or twice. Yeah, not so bad, I must admit. Um, Durham, that pretty much... Uh, wraps things up though um is there anything else you want to add no that's her cool cool i gotta get going here before uh you know the game starts in a few hours from now i'm gonna rip downtown uh go for a nice walk it's a beautiful sunny day go grab some some nice food maybe go get some curry in me come back play a round or two on pga and then it's cracking hockey baby so i'm excited it's been a good day off oh yeah Oh, yeah, just looking forward to it. But that wraps up episode number 19. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And make sure to rate this episode five stars if you've enjoyed it. And stay tuned for episode 20 when we talk more cracking hockey, baby. And that final little bit of a push to the playoffs, Durham. Uh, Let's get the puck out of here. Cheers, everybody.